Welcome to Enterprise Should Suck Less podcast. This is episode number 18. 18. Excellent. This is Mike Vesfina. I've got my partner here. This is Amit Pandey. Um, we've got a really exciting guest. We are in the mothership of Edmodo today, and we've got the uh, CEO, Vibhu, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, this is Vibhu Mittal, and you know, I'm honored to be guest number 18. Excellent. So, Vibhu, let's start off. Just give us the high level. What does Edmodo do? What do you? What's your day to day look like here? What What is? Uh, uh, tell us about Edmodo and what you guys are doing. Okay, so Edmodo is a platform that teachers use in schools, both for their own development of their careers as well as for bringing and managing students on board. And it started off in two thousand, late two thousand eight, early two thousand nine, uh, with a couple of school administrators uh, in Chicago, uh, realizing that teachers didn't have an easy way to talk to other teachers, and uh, so they started off uh, trying to build a social network that teachers could use uh, in order to be able to ask questions, get resources, uh, ask for suggestions, help, and so on. Very quickly, they realized that. Uh, teachers spend a huge amount of time in the classroom so they started allowing the teachers to bring the students on board and so if you think of Edmodo today it's essentially like a forest of little social networks there's a social network for every classroom attached to a teacher the students can only talk to other students in their classroom but the teachers can talk to any teacher across the world and uh, so we are not a traditional social network in the sense that anybody can connect to anybody else. Uh, we do this for safety reasons. Uh, we also do this sometimes for legal reasons because legally schools are required to be able to guarantee that their students will not interact with somebody that the parents or other student uh, or uh, teachers may not want uh, to have access to students and so on. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, think of us as an educational social network where both teachers and students interact with each other and sometimes we don't have very many but sometimes you can also have the parent in the loop. Uh, to put numbers in perspective we have about 65 million stu registered students, about 6 million registered teachers and about a million registered parents. Uh, so as you can see parents don't really form a strong portion of our user base right now. Right and Am and I were, we were talking we haven't done that much stuff in education in terms of um, content, and this we're we're really excited to talk to you because this is sort of our first <laughs> our first uh, go at really discussing the topic. And um, your background is is also you know getting into education. If you want to kind of share with us um, how you've gotten into the education space. Okay, so I met Amit a few years ago, and we talked about this at that point. Uh, I actually ended had uh, some exposure to education in grad school, so I ended up doing a PhD dissertation on getting computers to generate textbooks. Uh, and then uh, after my PhD, I went to CMU and worked on patient education. So if you think of uh, chronic diseases like uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and migraine, uh, you can't actually cure them, you have to learn to manage them. And the better a patient can understand their disease, the better they're able to actually take care of themselves. So we worked on a pretty interesting project, especially for this is early 90s, uh, where we had uh, put our system in the waiting room of various hospitals and we wanted to see what people would do with these. Uh, now this is pre-internet days and so when we had instruction that said move the mouse, 90% of our users had no idea what a mouse was. They would all look around in some horror and say move the mouse? Which mouse? Uh, 
but it actually turned out to be uh, pretty insightful because people tend to use computers very differently than they talk to people so one of the big learnings for us was that uh, people tend to be shy and awkward when they're talking to the doctor uh, not one of our hundreds of patients who use the system ever ask the doctor if their headaches in our case we were looking at migraines if the headaches could have been caused by cancer but every one of our patients spent an hour on the system trying to figure out if it it might be cancer and uh, so we followed up uh, we had an ethnographer on our team at that point and she followed up uh, with the patients later on to say why didn't you ask the same questions to the doctor that you were asking the system and uh, they said oh you know i didn't want to break down in front of the doctor i thought it'd be awkward i was shy it's and so we thought at that point you know this would be really useful in schools little kids are likely to be even more shy than grown ups and uh, but after that i went to google spent 9 years at google uh didn't really do much educational stuff there uh but built a bunch of interesting uh things and then when i left google because i wanted to try and come back to education i thought what better area to work on than you know little uh younger children's educational uh tools so we built a language learning software that tried to take into account uh, some interesting theories on memorization and learning uh, wrapped in an integer programming uh, framework so that you could actually try and be as optimal as possible in how to learn certain things and the, with the root one you guys uh, were you were, uh, featured a lot it was 20, 2011 or 12 but you're in the app uh, the apple store at the time and yeah. uh, there was uh, and th- this was the early days of the ipad's potential in education Actually uh the interesting difference uh, you're right we got featured and actually getting featured was a huge win for us because we didn't really think about distribution in those days so one of the big issues for any company is how do you get users and uh you know we struggled a lot to get our first 1000 users and then with great difficulty managed to get featured in a blog somewhere that a writer had written and we got another 10000 users as a result of the write up but then we got featured by apple and in one week we got a quarter million users right oh it was just amazing we just couldn't figure out where the uh, loads were coming from and then we said oh we must have got featured somewhere <laughs> and uh, it turned out that apple could drive huge numbers of downloads in those days i just heard actually that uh, that's no longer true so one of the interesting shifts that's occurred i think uh, in the app world is that if you now get featured by apple in education uh, you maybe get 10000 downloads a day or so uh, nowhere near the kind of you know 50 60000 downloads a day that we were getting in those days uh, so we got featured by apple that led to a bunch of interesting uh, scale experiments that we were able to do but uh, you know you can only get featured by apple so often yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, so we would get these massive bumps and then we would stall again yeah. and so eventually when we tried to raise uh, venture funding uh, we had about a million users but uh, most of our uh, vc pitches uh, didn't actually lead to a successful term sheet because they said we don't quite know how you're going to make money yeah. k through 12 is a tough place to make money yeah. right and i think on that point is this is i think the the fascinating thing just about edtech in general is you have this fine line of straddling between sort of a consumer internet product and an enterprise software piece of mm-hmm. you know a piece of software that goes into organization that's right so very valuable for yeah. users but how are you going to make money out of yeah. um So talk to me about a little bit about that. We we want to little, hear a little bit more about sort of the ad tech space is how how have you guys viewed that and where do you guys sit in that spectrum of aligned, you know, purely on the consumer side or purely on the 
we run a school and we need the best education possible. So I think you're right uh, that this is a tough space to be in and yeah. there's this massive gray zone in the middle. We are actually squarely in the middle of the, right in the gray zone. <laughs> and it's actually a problem for us in some ways because uh, our adoption is done by our consumers. In some ways, we are a very bottoms up growth company. Individual teachers can use us even if the schools don't want us. And uh, so we actually see, uh, we're used in about right now 370,000 or so schools in the US and internationally. And many of those are actually teachers using us in addition to their officially sanctioned uh, school system. And uh, clearly if you're being used essentially in uh, the side mode uh, where teachers use us, it's hard to make money on the enterprise model because you can't go to the school and say, oh, you know, 10% of your teachers use us, you should pay us for that usage, right? So we've adopted a strategy that says, uh, let's try and get adoption organically because that's the only way you're going to get usage. But once we get a certain amount of teachers using us in a school, let's say in our case, uh, we've uh, taken different thresholds at a time, but let's say, say 30%. Mm-hmm. We often go to schools and say, hey, a third of your teachers are using us. Would you like to have us come in and train your, the rest of your teachers so the entire school can use us? Okay, so the the you know the the Dropbox Slack uh, models are different, but still there's some of that uh, you know I, I think Slack is two thousand messages uh, from yep, when yep. they say that okay, well now you just got to pay for it because you're you're used to it. Um, but but I think in your case, what's interesting is that the 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 ninety percent uh, in that ten percent you said they're probably using. What are they using an LMS then, or are they using like a homegrown? No, so it's usually an LMS. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's a grading system. So uh, many schools, actually, I think a vast majority of schools until about a few years ago, all had one of a small number of systems. The most prominent of which was Blackboard. Yeah. Right. And uh, Blackboard has a very uh, good sales strategy. So they go to the district or the state level and then they are able to convince them that they should buy a license for everybody in the district. That requires a big sales force. You need an inside sales force. You need a, uh, you know in-field uh, sales force. So you need to have uh, support. You need to do a bunch of things. As a startup, we couldn't afford to do all this. Right. So we said our growth has to come through a viral adoption strategy where a teacher who uses us talks about us to other people in the school. And even today, something like 50% of our growth comes purely from word of mouth. Right. Got it. So some teacher hears about us, uses us, and then you can see a school start to light up a little bit because more and more teachers will use us if it actually uh, resonates with that original teacher. So then going to you know uh, what Mike and I often um, get to this question at some point in the podcast, which is you know what makes uh, the the uh, given that we're enterprise should suck less. Um, it seems that when you're going into uh, the, this this viral strategy, uh, part of the premise there is that the Edmodo experience for teachers actually sucks less because teachers also like um, you know everyday enterprise users often have to use what's given to them, and maybe someone um, who's a decision maker that's really just looking at a different set of criteria versus uh, ease of use, adoption, integrations. Um, and so how much of uh, Edmodo's growth uh, would you say has been around making that experience for teachers suck less? Has that been a huge part of what uh, you've seen the so, teachers loving? Uh, I can't uh, you know, say that this is our insight, I mean in the sense my insight, uh-huh. because uh, I've only been here three years. But this is very similar to the Google model and I would even potentially say the Apple model. So Google's enterprise uh, suite 
grew on the strength of the fact that their consumer brand and consumer reputation was very well established by the time they started trying to get their enterprise boxes their search appliances into companies right, right. so uh, they weren't ibm they weren't verity they weren't autonomy one of the very uh, well known brands but uh, when they went to people uh, they would say wouldn't you like to have the google experience be available for your intra a uh, search uh, you know appliances and people would say oh yeah absolutely you know, i would totally love it yeah. and you've seen the same thing with iphone the iphone was never targeted at enterprise and, and we've, yet we've talked about that yeah. countless i think times especially given your sort of mobile background on it is uh, the iphone was forced into enterprise yep. right it wasn't it wasn't directed it was well the only way it was directed was because ceo said i want to do all my business on an ipad and fix it it department right so Yep. Yeah. So we sort of I think maybe stumbled into it because we hadn't really thought about monetization as a main vector of, you know, interest initially. Right. We were trying to be a good growth startup, you know, doing hyper growth and so on. But it turned out that one of the best ways to try and get to the enterprise uh, kind of business model is to actually have your teachers and your local users advocate for you at the district level. Right. right. and so if you have enough teachers using you then you know they will often talk to the principal or we can talk to the principal on their behalf and say hey you know this is a interesting possibility for you guys to adopt us and we are willing to help you try and get to from 30% to say 60% or 70% we'll do professional training pd take your choice and and in your case the the students which would be the equivalent of um, you know uh, everyday knowledge workers if you will in a in a company that's using enterprise software uh edmodo came up at around the time when um i'm trying to remember you know how many users facebook had at the time but uh, facebook in a consumer sense which was uh, one of the uh, elephants in the room they were going through that whole what's the future of facebook how do we get into mobile um and so the the the, the adoption within children and within early teens and and such um that's you know in the last 5 years uh, some of the greatest shifts in consumer uh, including um, you know the the rise of uh, snapchat volumes versus facebook is because um things have become simpler and simpler for that audience and that's the audience um that you've uh, targeted right that because if the children hated using uh, this hated this uh, user experience versus uh, whatever it is that they were hearing about that would have been very hard to pull off so so having a product that works for teachers but also that students are able to do um you know uh, seamlessly seamlessly yeah, yeah. Uh, without having the feeling that often great knowledge workers have this feeling right that oh my god i have to go into my payroll system right but with students it's not their choice it's yeah. not their choice at all yeah So I think there is a large element of truth in what you just said. Uh, the other bit that I would potentially attribute to our success, uh, and this is perhaps uh, not uh, necessarily as flattering to us, because I would like to think that we solved some you know secret problem that nobody else had been able to stumble upon, uh, is the fact that we were able to piggyback to some extent on the success of Facebook and other social networks. Right? So. every lms that had been there before us was truly an lms you got a little notification that said you know your teacher has given you a homework or there's a grade that's been assigned but you couldn't actually connect to anybody you couldn't discuss a problem you had you couldn't ask a simple question around you know when is the homework actually due and is it chapter 1 chapter 2 and so on 
by giving people the ability to be able to ask these questions uh, we got a surprising uh, amount of lift because people said ah oh, that's awesome but the real secret i think was we also looked and behaved very similarly to facebook mm-hmm. and uh, you know we didn't necessarily appreciate it in uh, at the time but in hindsight nobody had a learning curve yeah you logged on to edward and you don't need to be told oh no yeah. train no training costs Nothing. I mean, and and yammer for example i think is another good example of yeah. that where they when they came into the market people adop- the adoption was much quicker than any other piece of software that came before it because the people were used to it yeah right and then microsoft came along and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so well, you know you can we'll all- say that we'll say that topic for another day yeah i think uh, you can always overthink uh, anything sure right? uh, but you know sometimes there's a real benefit to trying to take the simplest approach and the right. simplest approach actually i think that people often overlook is you say is there a paradigm that people are already comfortable with that they're really really familiar with can i build on that paradigm right and uh, so i think you know people found that ease of use in something like a classroom software could be easily ported over from a non classroom use case and then have people feel like oh you know we've always used this software even though they never actually previously used us right so so when you go ahead my question was in just shifting gears a little bit around because you've uh, uh, both as edmodo and in uh, now your work in leading edmodo in the last few years you guys were early on and in the last few years uh, at least from the outside and one now hears about specific um, services or apps targeted at, at just teachers or at at students and at tech um, at least here around in the bay area there's a lot more now starting to happen in at tech um where well, i think the other point to that too is i think everybody here sees technology as the way to improve education that's right, right? that's right which is which may not uh, be universal and so uh, how has how have you adopted to so you were early but then a lot of these point competitors i'm sure have come along um how uh, have you thought about edmodo's own um growth as you think of the next several years because you were just talking about facebook and and the facebook of 3 years ago and the facebook of today with just off the charts mobile consumption um has that started happening in edtech so that was the one thing i was interested in hearing your views about in terms of the way the consumption happens and do you expect that to keep changing um uh, in the next few years in schools because schools going back to um just uh, the experience at stanford right schools were incredibly um stanford was incredibly anti bringing anything into the classroom you could have uh, one of these um uh, max in a classroom if you had a financial model but uh, you were being extremely rude if you had anything else in and i was i was quite stunned then but in retrospect i think that was a good good thing cuz you probably don't want people texting and so i think depending on how uh, you count our users or our usage so one way is you can say how many minutes a day does somebody who's using edmodo spend it on a, a desktop versus a mobile device but the other way to look at it is how many sessions a day how many times a day does somebody come along because the distribution of the amount of time they spend versus the number of times they come is very different for mobile and uh, desktop if you look at number of sessions about half our sessions are now on the mobile and it's growing much much faster than the number of sessions on desktop mm-hmm. and some of it is uh, due to a relatively interesting trend i think that's sweeping the classrooms where it used to be that you had access to a computer at school through a lab 
or they bring a tray al- uh, cart along and do uh, those exist anymore they do uh, <laughs> but not uh, as many as you would you know right. uh, remember uh, but more and more uh, people are now handing out a tablet in class as part of the class hmm. more interestingly uh, given that we are in the bay area at the cupertino school district is the first one where i have seen this not only are you allowed to bring your phone into the classroom and have it uh, with you while the teacher is talking you are allowed to use it for anything you want And so at least in the high schools uh, that I went to and uh, I think this was Lindbrook there were kids actually looking up stuff while the teacher was giving a lecture asking a question to another person through a facebook ad hoc facebook group and so on all while the lecture is going on and so when I talked to the teacher the teacher said there's no point fighting it you know they even to look up wikipedia verify facts ask a question look at an image do all kinds of things that they should be doing if they're really engaged so the mo- uh, the original teaching model where you all sat at attention and you know with rapt uh, you know silent uh, gaze looked at the teacher and watched what he or she was doing i think that model is going out slowly and i was in japan uh, recently uh, two weeks ago and uh, you know the japanese model is very different interestingly uh, they have uh, far fewer schools on wifi than the us the us is almost 90% schools now have uh, internet connections japan is less than 24% mm. uh, uh if you look at how many of them have wifi and computer there's less than 10% it's actually very strange but even in a place like japan uh they're now beginning to say you know the last 15 minutes of the lecture should be reserved for kids to use computers do stuff on computer collaborate with each other and so on and there are real benefits to uh doing some of the stuff that isn't necessarily uh you know well understood from any of us because that the introducing the device into the classroom changes the way people learn stuff and so if you measure them on the same metric that you were measuring them earlier uh you may actually miss the fact that people are doing much more and and in some ways going back to your whole google history part of this is because of google right yes child can sit there and say ask a question i know uh, growing up in my own educational sort of journey um i i educate i have educated myself much more because i have access to something like this yes. and and i and i that thing that rings 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 true for Sort of I mean education. I can't uh, talk about Google stats because you know I'm still bound by an sure. NDA but if you look at Baidu uh, a quarter of all Baidu queries are homework related right yeah. wow and uh, this is of course hearsay I mean in the sense that I'm not a Baidu person so I can't say oh I saw this uh, yeah. but uh, somebody I know who knows about right. these stats said to me it's a really interesting uh, space to be in and you know clearly I think kids uh, or anybody who's learning they're spending several hours a day doing nothing but learning right and so it's a great area in some ways to try and build a business in it's not necessarily proven yet but uh, there are not very many other uh, areas that i think are as fertile and as remain to be tapped because technology hasn't made its way yet uh, into most schools and if you think of it there are a billion students k through 12 students in the world 1.2 billion or so and the number of them who are currently being served by any kind of technology platform is in the single digit millions in those uh, teachers you mentioned uh, earlier the uh, several hundreds and thousands uh, what percentage of those teachers um, are in markets where um, you know th- there's so there's a large obvious large markets um, and then there's just you know teachers have unique challenges everywhere in the world mm-hmm. um, and in, in terms of even the role and the future of teaching um are you finding the percentage of teachers outside the us um that are able to collaborate with you know uh, 
with schools where there's more resources available, has that increased a lot? Because you mentioned right in the beginning of our recording that um, uh, uh, while students are doing these um, trees in, in that forest, mm -hmm. but the forest is open at the at the top, top for level. teachers. Yes. And is that is that something that's fueling a lot of the growth of the, the platform? Because teachers historically in, say, um, in Bolivia would not have access to what teachers in Boston or the other way around. So one of the interesting things for us is that we have not localized in lots of languages yet. Right? Okay. So we have about nine languages, uh, but we see a lot of this exchange of information. I'll give you one example that I've mentioned now because I find it so amusing. Uh, about I was looking at our teacher-to-teacher -teacher discussion groups, and a teacher asked recently, how do I teach Shakespeare for, to teenagers? Right? Shakespeare is a little dated. I mean, it's uh, the guy who wrote uh, his plays 500 years ago. Uh, how do I make it more relevant to the modern day teenager? And actually within a couple of minutes, this is a teacher somewhere in Brazil, within a couple of minutes, somebody actually from Stratford replied saying, we are part of the Shakespeare Trust. Here's a, a, a resource that actually addresses Shakespeare for teens. And then a bunch of other people added some things and so on. Some people recommended there are movies that people have made that are modern adaptations of you know Shakespeare's plays and so on. And then there was an answer that said, you should use Lady Gaga songs. And I thought, Lady Gaga songs? How can you use Lady Gaga songs? And actually, interestingly, I stopped at that point and then a bunch of teachers <laughs> asked exactly this question. And it turns out the answer was pretty interesting and I've often now thought about it. Somebody said, it doesn't matter how you think you should use Lady Gaga songs. Right? Just ask your kids to find parallels between Lady Gaga songs and Shakespeare plays. Right? Right. Everybody who's either interested or not interested has heard of Lady Gaga and they'll say, why? This shouldn't really be a map. Now, clearly, there are some maps, right? Because uh, if you look at some of the Shakespeare plays, they're based around romance and tragedy, Romeo yeah. and Juliet and so on. I'm sure there's some Gaga song right. uh, that has uh, love interest in it and so on. But the effort in trying to either find a parallel or disprove that there's a parallel gets all the kids really involved, right? Well, what's fascinating is uh, looking at uh, Manuel and Miranda and, you know, bringing Hamilton as, as, as a hip-hop uh, yep. treatment. Yep. Um, the, the amount of information that's being passed between any two teachers uh, that's in bits and bytes it's mm -hmm. you just need to know that this is an approach that someone has tried out yes and uh, if you can collapse that and uh, i'm almost thinking mike that you know if i if i contrast this to a lot of um, some of the things we're seeing in in, in enterprises otherwise uh, there's a lot of enterprises uh, that don't do this yet right yeah, yeah and i think that's um sort of the access to the right information that quick that's a, just a massive problem for any business, for any organization. Um, and so bringing that together, I think, is, is sort of the, the key thing. And I just have one uh, last question for you, but I'll let Mike uh, bring, uh, if he has any other questions. Um, my question is really around the, you know, the classroom of the future. And uh, you, you gave us an interesting, um, vivid visual about that, uh, around uh, when you, you spoke about uh, how you've seen the Cupertino example. So if you fast forward that to 2020, um, maybe a little bit of a glimpse on, in your mind, what does that look like? So I think the classroom of the future, and 2020 is not that far away, but it's still far enough away that it's hard to guess because if you had asked somebody four years ago what 2016 would look like, it'd be very hard for people to guess that Snapchat would be the dominant social platform, uh, you know, other than Facebook and so on. But the one that really, I think, gets me going is that right now, even in 2016, your world is defined by your peers. Most people do learning in a social setting and your social setting is the physical classroom you happen to be in. Imagine you're a kid growing up in Ghana or India or any other third world countries right now. 
it's not that they don't have access to good information because right now unlike say 20 years ago every textbook you can think of has an online version of it uh, wikipedia is available for everybody anywhere in the world and so on as long as you have a connection and connected devices are proliferating like nobody's business but what's more interesting is that can you in fact put together a virtual classroom where if you are interested in quantum computing there may be nobody in your village or your town that actually cares about quantum computing so you're in a classroom of 20 kids your teachers trying to teach you algorithms or math or whatever and so on but your interest is slightly different can i in fact put you together with a group of other students who have actually also the same set of interest in quantum computing some who are slightly better than you so that you can learn from them some who are slightly worse than you so you can mentor them because that relationship where you learn from others and then you pass it on to somebody else is actually an important part of learning yourself and that is currently defined by your geographic boundaries i think actually one of the cool things about having a large virtual community is that we have millions of kids right now even with our relatively small number of kids online imagine if you had you know hundreds of millions of kids online i could find anybody a peer group that they would love to work with so i think you will find there'll be some kid in some country that you've never heard of who's you know going to be the westinghouse science talent search winner or the intel science because they'll be learning from kids in you know the best schools in new york or palo alto or london or wherever right? and which you currently can't do so so on that note i think um we're kind of coming to the end of end of our uh, our episode here this has been awesome thank you for your time we're going to give you the last sort of 30 seconds here to give your nice little elevator pitch about edmodo and yourself and if people want to know about them let us know what the best way to to get in touch okay so i think education is the one of the last great untapped areas today every few years there'll be yet another untapped area because some areas will become uh, untapped uh, so on uh, education i think uh, deserves all the attention we can not just because i think it's good for the world which it is but because i think there's real potential to actually have a massive business here the total amount of spending uh, on even something like textbooks is tens of billions of dollars and i think uh, you know any one of these verticals is ripe for disruption uh, if any of you guys uh, listening to this want to get in touch with me i'm more than happy to try and answer questions uh, clarify any statements uh, you know or just hang out uh, reach me by email at vibhu@edmodo.com and uh, you know i look forward to trying to work with any of you great thank, thank you, you. thanks